Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. That uh, line in that song is actually taken from Psalm 81, 16, a beautiful psalm that maybe you should go back and read and think about what God does to provide for us, even from things that uh, don't normally offer provision. Rocks don't satisfy, and there's not honey in them unless God makes it so. And he is a provider and a provision for us, which really flows into the text we're going to look at today, Psalm 23, uh, verse 4. There's a, there's a memory I have that I'll probably never forget. Uh, my dad pastored a church in Iron Station, North Carolina, which is down in Lincoln County. It was Sharon Baptist Church, and our family lived in the church parsonage. So the church was on the same, the parsonage was on the same property as the church, maybe a couple hundred yards separated the parsonage from the church building. And uh, in between the parsonage and the church building was a cemetery in, in kind of an oak grove. It's an older cemetery, way older than the, than the actual church building. And when we were seven or eight, I've got a twin brother, uh, and when we were seven or eight, my dad, under the guise of teaching us some responsibility, gave us the key to the church building and told us to go bring him something. I think it was something in his office. I don't remember what he asked us to bring now. But he asked us to go up and get it and come back. And so, of course, it was about dusk. It wasn't completely dark, but it was dark enough. And, and we went the straight shot. We went through the cemetery to the church building and went in. I liked the door, did what my dad asked, got it, got what we needed to get, and started walking back, again walking back through the cemetery only to have my dad jump out from behind one of those big headstones and scare us to death. I can tell you this, I have never run faster in my life than I did that, that day as a seven or eight-year-old. Why is it that we're afraid of the dark? You know, we're in a season where the next holiday that we celebrate is going to be Halloween or celebrated in our, in our uh, American culture, it's Halloween, and some people, I guess, like good scares. Some people like to watch things and hear things that, that are a little bit frightening or a little bit dark. But most of us don't really like that. We don't, we don't long to be scared. We don't long to live in the dark. And yet, what is it about being in the dark that frightens us? Sometimes uh, it's not so much what's really there as what we imagine might be there when we're in the dark. And the reason I bring all that up is because Psalm 23, 4 is about that. In fact, it's one of the most poignant and memorable verses that I think is found in the pages of Scripture. If you don't know many verses, you might remember this one or at least parts of it. And I've stood over countless or with countless families over countless bodies, even in this sanctuary, and preached this text of Scripture as a word of comfort in dealing with death. So we're going to work through Psalm 23 again. We'll read it all, but we'll focus our time today on Psalm 23, 4. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a change or a shift that takes place in Psalm 23, verse 4. First three verses, you have the shepherd in third person. He is my shepherd. He leads. He guides. And then in verse 4, the, there's a shift to second person. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. In other words, it's more about the presence of the shepherd in the life of the sheep, or in this case, in, in David's life. It's a testimony. It's an acknowledgement that he knows that God is with him because he's walked the paths where God has needed to be with him. And it is a beautiful picture. There are affirmations in the text. Uh, we're going to focus on what the shepherd does. And in fact, Psalm 23 is more about the shepherd than it is about the sheep. And yet in this verse, there's an indication of the responsibility of the sheep. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And then he says, I will fear no evil. But those affirmations come with kind of contrasting or rather complementary statements about who the shepherd is. I will, uh, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You are with me. You're with me. In other words, the walking is in concert with the leading of the shepherd. That's the picture that's found in the text. And then I will not fear. Why? Because you're with me and you will protect me. So there's an emphasis on our responsibility as sheep, our responsibility as God's people, and then a, a complementary uh, affirmation for what God does to provide protection and to provide his presence. So I, I've titled this uh, Good News in Death's Valley and particularly practices for the pathway through Death's Valley. How is it that you and I as Christians are to walk through the valleys that surround us, the, the death shadow that overwhelms us? What are we to do? So two practices. The first one is this. We're to walk in the presence of the shepherd. It's our responsibility. I walk. I walk in the valley of the shadow of death. And oftentimes we think about that as an isolated text. It's not. I walk where? He's still walking in the paths of righteousness. I want to tell you something. As much as we long for the green pastures and the still waters and the paths of righteousness to be those moments of peace and security and calmness and comfort, equally true, there are pathways in our lives that are through the valley of the shadow of death that are still the pathways of righteousness. They're still the paths that God wants us to walk on. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death indicates that the sheep are still walking with the shepherd. I think in, in the context here, David has in mind a very real place. There is a place in or many of these types of places, ravines in Israel, but one is called the Wadi Kelt, and one of our church members, one of our deacons, Bobby Parsons, took his family to Israel earlier this year. By the way, we need to pray for what's going on in the Middle East right now, the war between Hamas and Israel, and it needs to be something that's on our mind and heart, but Bobby and his family went and visited Israel toward, and he sent me a picture of this ravine, this particular valley that is very likely what David had in mind. It's a very real place that he would take his sheep through. He would, to get from point A to point B, one grazing field to one green pasture to, to another, to, to still waters, he would walk through and lead his sheep through this particular valley. One of the writers who's been there put it this way about this particular place, the Wadi Kelt. It is a very narrow defile through a mountain range where the water foams and roars torn by jagged rocks. 
The path plunges downward uh, into a deep and narrow gorge of sheer precipices. Uh, and and it, its walls rise like the stone walls of a great cathedral. The valley is about five miles long, yet it is not more than 12 feet at the widest section of the base. The actual path on the solid rock is so narrow that in places the sheep can hardly turn around in case of danger. So David is thinking of a very real place that on numerous occasions probably he led his flock of sheep right through that valley, right through that ravine in order to get them to a new place or the place where they needed to be to eat and to feed and to drink. Now, when we think about this terminology, the valley of the shadow of death, shadow of death in the Hebrew is one word. It's the word uh, salmawet. Sel means shadow. Mawet means death. And so it's put in its compound fashion. We're used to compound words, baseball in, in, here in the, in the English language. But the Hebrew doesn't do compounds very well. In fact, it's very rare for there to be a compound word in the Hebrew language. So uh, what in other places, and there are several in the Old Testament, this, this word, valley of the shadow of death, that, that word there, is translated a valley of deep darkness or a place of deep darkness or deep shadow. Uh, it's almost as if death is used as a, as a descriptor for the valley. As if we might say, I'm dead tired, or, it, or, it's, or I'm dead exhausted, or something like that. It, it carries with it the idea of how dark it is. That's the imagery. That's what, what David is trying to picture in our minds, or have us picture in our minds, that it is a valley of deep darkness, of shadow, of difficulty. And it carries with it this imagery that, that is weighty, that is dark, that, that, that push it, that, wants it, that it causes us to want to be away from it as soon as possible. And the way we think about death in, in our American culture or our scientifically based culture, we think about death as a moment, a mo- an event. We think about death as the moment in which the heart stops beating or the brain activity starts, stops functioning or we don't breathe any longer. We think of it as, as that there, there's a moment. You are alive, and then you're dead. In Hebrew worldview, they didn't think about death in those terms, at least not in quite the stark terms that we think about death. And this will help us grasp, I think, what David is getting at as we walk through this valley. They, think, they thought of death as not just the event when you stopped living, but they thought about it with all of its implications that led to the cause of not living. For example, in David's life, he fought many battles. He stood next to men who would go into a battle and they died and he survived the battle. And so in his mind, the valley of the shadow of death would have included those things like war. That war is going to be or a battle is going to be the cause of death for someone. You think about it in terms of um, uh, animals or enemies, lions and wolves that, that would cause the death of a sheep or even the death of a person. That would be the shadow of death. In other words, death is, it comes from the enemy that wants to destroy and take life. You think about it in terms of illness in David's day and age. You know, today, we think of illness as something to be cured, something to be fixed with a, with a pill or with a shot or with some kind of medical, medicinal technology. And we ought to be grateful for that, that we live in a day and age where we can address uh, infections and diseases and, and deal with diabetes and heart disease and cancers. 
But in David's day and age, they lacked the medicinal technologies to be able to cure someone of cancer or deal with heart disease or even deal with an infection. And so oftentimes, the valley of the shadow of death in the life of the Hebrew people, they would have thought about it as what are the courses of illness or sickness or or enemies or war that are leading this person into death, that, that, that are a part of death. So in some ways, we can think of the shadow of death as death and all its tendrils or tentacles that are spread out amongst us that are leading us into its into its final cause of destruction and death. You think about it in terms of shadow, you know, we know that you can't be harmed by a shadow, right? Shadows can't do anything to you. But what's behind the shadow can do something to you. Now, oftentimes, shadows play tricks with our minds, and there's not really anything behind it that's going to harm us, but occasionally there are things behind shadows that harm us. And in this indication, in this case... The shadow of death, death casts its shadow over us through all sort of things. Let me make some connections here. Some of us, for some of us, the shadow of death is cancer. And it is permeating your existence. It's a part of your life and you've got to deal with it through treatments. And maybe you're able to pass through it. Maybe you're able to get cured of it. Or maybe you're not. But it carries with it the shadow of death. For others in the room... The shadow of death is heart disease, chronic sickness and illness. For, for some of you in the room, the shadow of death it would be some sort of depressive episode or periods of depressive episodes that you can't really get past. For others, the valley of death's shadow might be, uh, the, might be mental health challenges or mental instabilities that you're dealing with and you don't know how to have a solution and it is causing a shadow over you and pulling you into its fear or fretting. For others, the valley of death's shadow might be a series of decisions you've made and addictive behaviors or patterns or drugs or alcohol or some other kind of thing that is oppressing you and causing you to kind of wallow in paralyzed fear over what's going on in your life. For others, the valley of death's shadow may be somebody else's decision for you. Maybe an abusive relationship or divorce or some kind of separation that you're facing and it carries with it this shadow that is just always there, that's hovering there. And behind that shadow is death. Death that wants to destroy. Death that wants to kill us. Death that wants to maim us. Folks, it's a very real place, the valley of the shadow of death. For others of us, it's... Actually, the death of a loved one, a friend, someone that we care about deeply. And, and just this week, we've had members of our church family go through catastrophic, unexpected deaths or expected deaths. And it's a struggle in every indication. So the psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, here's our hope. We need to recognize that when we're walking through this valley, we need to seek the presence of the Savior in the midst of the walk. I want to tell you something. There are some things you can only learn about your Savior in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. You'll never learn things about God, or there are some things you'll never learn about God unless you're going through darkness, unless you're going through difficulty, unless you're going through pain. Uh, Believe me, I have some things I'm going through right now 
There's some things going on with my dad that if I could make things different, I would make them different. I would make different decisions. I would affect healing in a different way. I would not let that happen to that person. I would not choose to go through that experience. But I want to remind you, you and I are not the ones leading the way. We're not the ones in charge of the steps. We're not the ones who know exactly where it is we're supposed to go. Our shepherd is the one leading us through the valley of the shadow of death. And our job and responsibility is not to fix the situation. It's not to try to get out of the situation. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to deal with medical technologies, that we shouldn't try to better our lives. Uh, absolutely we should do that. But too often, here's what we do. We get so frustrated by the things we can't control that we forget who's in charge and who's in control in the first place. Our job as Christians is to walk with the shepherd in the midst of whatever pathway he leads us, whether it's the green pastures or whether it's the valley of the shadow of death. Something you need to be encouraged about and remember, there's not a thing in the valley of the shadow of death that can touch you that doesn't have the permission of the shepherd. There, there's not a thing on your path in front of you that can affect you truly and really, <coughs> excuse me, really, unless God gives permission. He's sovereign. He's in control. And our job is to walk in the presence of the shepherd. It's encouraging on several fronts. One, it's encouraging for this reason. God promises to be with you. Do you know that? He's not going to leave you alone. He doesn't, he's not going to ignore you. He's not going to walk past you. He's not going to leave you behind. He is with you in the midst of whatever it is you're facing. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you. He won't do that. So our job is to seek the presence of the shepherd. So how do we do that? How do we seek the shepherd? Let me tell you some places where the shepherd is, because that's the question, right? So where's the shepherd? How do we make sure we're walking with the shepherd? Jesus said in the book of Matthew, he said, Where two or three gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. That's in a text dealing with uh, church discipline, dealing with corrective discipline in the life of the believers. And G what Jesus is saying is that there is when two or three are together in, in conversation and trust in my word, I'm right there in the midst of them. This past Friday in my discipleship group, we shared God's word together. I heard from my brothers, and they shared with me, and I shared with them. And we prayed, and, and God worked in our midst. And guess what? God was there in the midst of that conversation and that meeting. God's there when our Sunday school classes meet and gather and talk about Scripture and pray together. God will be with our elders when we meet on Tuesday, and we pray for you as a congregation. He's there when we gather and pray. Tell you something, one of the places that we need to seek the shepherd is in the places where we're with other believers praying and seeking God's direction. I'll tell you somewhere else the shepherd is. He's in his word. Every time you and I open scripture and we read a passage like this, we think about a scripture like this, we meditate on a verse like this. God's present in our midst, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for the Lord is with me. And not only is he with us in, in general, but he's with us specifically when we think about his word because he's speaking to us and he's talking to us. Seek the shepherd to be gathered around other people. Seek the shepherd when you're in God's word together. And, and here's a reality. Seek the shepherd around other believers. I know he's with me. He was with me this morning when I woke up and spent time with him in prayer. He's going to be with me this afternoon. But he's with us in a very special sense when we gather and worship as God's people. He's with us when we sing and testify, praise the King. 
because he has defeated all of our enemies. He's here with us when we testify that there's honey from a rock. I mean, how ludicrous is that, right? But God makes it so. He did so in Deuteronomy. He did so in, uh, in, in, in the book of Psalms. He can take the most difficult circumstances that any of us have ever faced, and he can bring life out of it. Why? Because he is great and glorious. And there's something we miss if we miss the gathering of God's people and we miss the presence of God. So let me tell you, sheep, our job is to seek the presence of the shepherd in his word around other believers when we gather for worship. Let me say this before we move on. You cannot escape the valley. You can't. Some of you are going through some things that you're probably in some measure going to walk in that valley for the rest of your life on earth. You can't escape the valley, but you can follow the steps of the shepherd through the valley. You can continue following him and trusting him and experiencing his provision and his protection. Let me give you a second uh, practice. It's this, fear not through the protection of the shepherd. It's not just our job to walk with the shepherd, it's our job not to fear. Hear David testify, I will fear no evil. That's a pretty bold statement. That's pretty brash on David's part. I'll fear no evil. I'm not going to fear lions or bears. I'm not going to fear Philistines or giants. I'm not going to fear armies. I'm not going to fear satanic forces. I will not fear any evil. None. Some of us folks are quite simply paralyzed by the fears in our own minds and hearts. Some of us borrow worry and we imagine things that, that could be that never are. And we end up paralyzed spiritually, emotionally, relationally, because all that we can, all that we can do is dream about the possibilities, the what-ifs. We what-if ourselves to death. We what-if ourselves into worry and frustration and all sort of things that happen. That's the life of so many people. Yet David's affirmation is this. I will not fear. I will fear no evil. For you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Folks, we don't have to fear because we're in the presence of our shepherd. If we're following him and walking with him. I remember growing up as a kid, we'd wake up in the middle of the night, be frightened. What would we do? We'd grab a pillow and a blanket and go sleep on the floor in our parents' room. Some of you have done that too. Why? Because we just wanted to be around the person we knew that would protect us. I've got a son that does the same thing. Can't go back to sleep in the middle of the night. Guess what he does? Lays down on the floor next to us. Uh, Be in the presence of the shepherd. You want to go through life with less fear or no fear, then we've got to be in the presence of the shepherd. Because he's not going to let anything happen to us that he's not in charge of. We can fear not in the protection of the shepherd because he defends us with his rod. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. What's the rod? Well, the rod was, was something that a, that a young shepherd boy, one writer put it this way, young shepherd boy would go into the brush, bush and he would select a young sapling uh, and dig it from the ground and carve and whittle down with great care. He would take the enlarged base of the sapling where the, the trunk joins its roots and he would shape into, into a smooth rounded head of hard wood. And the sapling itself would be shaped exactly to fit the owner's hand after he completes it, the shepherd boy would spend hours practicing with the club, learning how to throw it with amazing speed and accuracy. It was his main weapon of defense, both for himself and for his sheep. 
Certainly we know that David had a sling and, a, and stones, but he probably also had this type of rod that he would use to fend off animals, uh, to throw against lions or bears or wolves, and, and even use it to defend himself against people. That, that's what the rod was used for. So our shepherd protects us. He protects us with his rod of defense and protection. He is one that's not going to let anything happen to us that he's not in charge of and, and is in control over. I mean, I mean, think about it. There's nothing that you're going to face that Jesus hasn't already defeated. Think about it. Disease, right? Many of us have diagno- been diagnosed with diseases or have loved ones who have. And wonder, are we ever going to get through this? Well, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Elijah and Elisha healed people of diseases. And Jesus did the same thing in the New Testament. Over and over again, he defeated disease. If you're facing a disease, a diagnosis, a sickness that's beyond your control, let me just tell you, Jesus has already defeated it. He's in control over it. And if he lets it be the cause of your eventual death, you're still walking with your shepherd and he's won the victory over that no matter what. You don't have to fear disease. You don't have to fear the demonic. When we think about, man, there are enemies that hate us. The devil wants to destroy us. We looked at several weeks back as we looked at Ephesians chapter 6, the demonic powers that want to destroy our lives. I just want to remind you, in the New Testament, Jesus cast out demons over and over and over again. He sent them into the abyss. He destroyed them. The, The Bible describes his death on the cross as the defeat of the demonic powers in the world. He triumphed over them. Folks, there's no demonic power that can ever have your life ultimately when Jesus is in control of who you are because he defeated the demonic powers and enemies. You say, well, isn't death an enemy that we can't get past and can't defeat? Well, sure it is. All of us one day are going to go through the valley of the shadow of death and our lives are going to end in death unless Jesus comes back first. All of us are going to face death. I just want to remind you, Elijah and Elisha raised the dead in the Old Testament. Jesus raised Jairus' daughter and raised Lazarus and proved that he was capable, more capable of defeating death than even in those situations. After he spent three days in the grave after the cross, he rose from the dead to defeat death eternally. Yes, folks, death is an enemy. And believe me, I'm not in a hurry to go through that enemy and face it, and I know you're not either. But even if we face the enemy of death, Jesus already defeated the enemy of death. He is our shepherd who promises to protect us no matter what we face. And so we can be assured, you can be assured, if you face it, and if you're going through it walking with your shepherd, you're not going through anything that your shepherd hasn't already defeated, isn't already in control of, and won't walk with you through it. He protects you with his rod. The rod was also used as a measure of counting. So they would bring the sheep, and the shepherds would bring the sheep back into the sheepfold at night. And uh, the shepherd knew how many sheep he had. He would take that rod and he would hold it just over next to the gateway, just over where the sheep would would walk in, just over where their heads would be. And everyone that would go through, he'd count it. One, two, 33, 55, 78, however many sheep he had, he would count. Because he knew exactly how many sheep he was supposed to have. And if there was one missing... We know from the book of Luke, the Good Shepherd story, which we'll look at in a few weeks, we know from that story that the Good Shepherd would get all the rest of the sheep in the sheepfold, and then he would go after that one lost one. But here's what that tells us, folks. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Our Lord knows you by number and by name. 
He knows everything going on in your life. There's not a thing you're facing that he's surprised about. We may look around in the room and I may not know your stories and situations and you may not know mine. I may not know your suffering and difficulty. You may not know mine. But God knows. Your shepherd knows you. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you're going through. He knows where you're headed. He knows what you're facing. And he loves you. And he cares about you. And he longs to be in relationship with you no matter what you face and no matter what you're going through. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the staff, that was uh, uh, an, an instrument that the shepherd would use to lean on. It's probably about five foot tall. And it had a crook, almost all of them had a crook on the end. And shepherds would, would lean on that staff. Because, you know, shepherd, shepherding is a hard job. You know, it's not a sitting down job. When you're out in the, in, the, in, in the wilderness with your sheep, you had to always be standing up to be aware of the enemies and what could happen around it. So the, the shepherds would lean on their staff. They would also use that staff as a guide. You know, they would, they would kind of nudge. You ever been nudged by God? Where he just kind of, you know, moves you in a particular direction. Uh, if you're a parent, you know exactly what that's like. You know, when, when we never got the, uh, the leash for our kids, but there are times we wanted to because we had kids that liked to run. And I, listen, if you, if you got kids or grandkids and you put a leash, a backpack leash on them, no judgment from me. I'm like, you know, trying to keep them alive. And uh, there have been plenty of times in, in my life as a parent where we need to go this direction. And I've, I've you know, grabbed my kids by the shoulder and, and kind of gently moved them this way or that way. You know, we have to do that in life. That's what the shepherd would do with the staff. He would nudge the sheep, get them on the right path, make sure that they were taking the right steps. God does that. Over and over again, he nudges us through his word and through worship services, through songs, through sermons, through people. He nudges. He kind of gets us in the right direction. Sometimes he does a little more with the staff. It can be a corrective tool, too. He could kind of knock our knees a little bit or he could bonk us over the head to, to keep us from going the wrong direction. God does that, too. Let's us live in consequences of our own decisions. He offers correction. Why? Because he cares about us. He wants us to be safe. Sometimes he catches us up with that staff. Sheep that were handled too much by the shepherd would get the shepherd's smell on them, and the mother sheep wouldn't feed the baby sheep in those situations. And so what a shepherd would often do if a little sheep, one of the newborns, had got it, gotten itself kind of... In, uh, locked into a place, couldn't get up, they would take that staff and they would reach down and they would pick it up with the crook of that, that shepherd's staff to make sure that that sheep was okay, but also get that, get, make sure that sheep went back to its mother. Beautiful picture of the care that God provides. So the psalmist says, I will fear no evil, for your rod protects me and your staff comforts me. Folks, there's not a thing you're going to face in life that is outside the strength of God's ability to protect you from or that is outside the care and compassion that God can provide you in moving through it. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. It's a beautiful affirmation of who it is that God is. We're going to close with, a, with, with kind of a, a thought on the darkness. Folks, even in spite of knowing we're with our shepherd, even in spite of knowing what's going on in our, in our lives, um, we sometimes get afraid because we can't see what's next. 
We can't, can't, we can't know what's going on around us because it's maybe spiritually dark. I want to remind you that Jesus has been through the valley of the shadow of death as well. If you look in the New Testament, the Garden of Gethsemane, the night of his arrest, the night before his crucifixion, the Bible tells us that Jesus was on his knees, his head was bowed, he was praying to his Father in heaven, praying, God, let this cup pass from me. This cup of judgment, of wrath that he was going to take on for you and for me. He prayed and he asked God to take it from him and it was dark that night. Uh, and it was dark the next day when God turned his back on his son. I mean, the, Jesus went through the valley of the shadow of death. He went through the darkness and he asked God to take it away. He asked the Father, if it's possible, let there be any other means of salvation than this one. But did you catch what Jesus, remember what he said at the end? Nevertheless, not what I want, but your will. Your will be done. Jesus walked through the valley of the shadow of death, real death, real suffering, real pain, real punishment, being separated from the Father. He walked through that path so that you and I would not have to walk through our paths alone. So you and I would not have to be isolated and separated from a God who loves us and who cares about us. And beyond that, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the light. It says, I'm the light of the world. So you may be going through a situation that is so spiritually dark, you have no idea what step you're going to take next. You may not know what ten steps look like down the road. You might not know what next week looks like, next month, next year. That's okay. As long as you can see Jesus, you can see Jesus to take the next step following him. That's what God invites. He invites us to walk with him in the darkness, seeing him as the light, as the one who cares for us and meets us in the middle of our difficulties, in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, so that we can trust him and get to the destination that he has planned for us. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, The deeper the waters, the higher our ark mounts toward heaven, the darker the night, the more we prize our lamp. We've learned to sing in the dark with the thorn at our breast. So we'll give an invitation here in just a moment. Let me speak to the different kind of folks that are here with us this morning. Some of you may be here and may not yet have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you clearly and directly. The reason that you have fears... The reason that you have worries and uncertainties that overwhelm you sometimes is because um, you don't have a Savior who can defeat those fears for you. You don't have assurance of eternal life and forgiveness. So death is a very real enemy that has a very real destination of separation from God. I'm going to tell you something, folks. If that's you this morning, I would beg of you, come to Jesus, come to the light who will offer you salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. If you don't have a relationship with God, God wants to shine his light on you, forgive you, redeem you, rescue you, bring you into a faith relationship with himself. Would you put your faith and trust in Christ, your Lord and Savior? Christian, you're in the room. I know many of you are going through those valleys. You're going through those difficulties. You've been facing them for a period of time. And yeah, there have been moments of discouragement. There have been moments of doubt. I want to tell you, you need to come to the light, come to Jesus, get near him, and he will walk with you through whatever you're facing. Some of you, as we give an invitation in a moment, probably need to come and bring some of those burdens before the Lord in prayer. 
Others of you know people that you need to intercede for. One of the great privileges for us as Christians is to pray for our brothers and sisters who are facing those difficulties. If you know somebody that's going through one of those, would you consider taking the invitation time as just an opportunity for you to pray for them? We'll close with this picture. A number of months back, I was talking with uh, Pastor Tad and with our Minister of Children and Families, Ms. Danielle Hicks, and we were talking about our kids and kids' ministry in the life of the church. We were talking particularly about Awana and uh, how wonderful that ministry is on Wednesday nights to introduce to our children scripture and things that they, that they can learn and know that will be rooted in their hearts and lives forever. We're talking about the benefit of those kids gathering and studying scripture. Danielle told us this story. She had the privilege last year of working with some of our kindergartners. Uh, She was in their room teaching them a good number of those Wednesday nights. And we've got some kindergartners that have faced some pretty difficult things. They've gone through some some pains and sorrows and sadnesses in a way that's, that's hard. And they were talking about that one night. Kindergartners were with Miss Danielle. And one of those little kindergartners who's experienced more than a fair share of difficulty in his, in his days, he looked at Miss Danielle and he said this. He said, sometimes when things are dark is when we can best see Jesus. Don't run from the valley. Run to Jesus. He is who will get you through. I'm going to ask you to stand if you will. Our Lord, I know some folks in our church family who are going through those valleys. Already this morning I've seen them, I've talked with them, some of them I've given a hug to. And I want to thank you that through what they're facing, you haven't left them. I want to thank you that you're with them, and I pray especially for them that they would experience your presence and peace today. Our Lord, I know there are folks in our room today, folks in our our gatherings, folks around us that don't have the peace of the shepherd because they don't have relationship with Christ. I pray that today would be their day of surrender and submission and coming to faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. Lord, I pray for us as a gathering of sheep, a gathering of God's people today. Help us to keep our eyes on the shepherd. Help us to look to Jesus who is the light. Help us, Lord Jesus, when we go through those dark days and those difficult moments. Help us, Lord, to see you and to follow you and to step by step walk with you. pray this in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. 